Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This morning as we gather uh, and as we make this, this kind of turn in our service, we're going to be opening up God's Word and beginning a new sermon series. And this sermon series really is, is centering around the topic of evangelism, something that Brian and I were just talking about. As we often do in January each year, we want to center our minds and our hearts in the coming year on the things that God wants us to be about. And I believe one of the things that God wants us to be about is helping to introduce those around us to Christ. But as we begin this series, I want to just reflect for a moment on the perception of Christians in our world. I want you to think about just how, what is the caricature of Christians in your world, where you work, your workplace, your neighborhood, how are they perceived? And let me just, again, as we think about the caricature of Christians, think about it this way. Are Christians in your world typically known by what they are for or by what they are against? Again, the caricature. My guess is the caricature of Christians in your world, as it is in mine, is that we are against a lot of things. Um, and what are we against? We're against fun. It's like we've got the, this, this, the fun police, right? The, the siren goes off and we run anytime somebody is enjoying something and we tell them to stop it. I mean, this is the caricature of Christianity. But, but this is not what Christianity is all about. Certainly there are things that we are against, but we are only against them as they are profitable for others. Because we are people at the core of who we are that have a God that is for us, for his glory, but he is glorified as we live in relationship with him. Think about this, the most significant, most famous verse in our New Testament is John 3.16. How does that verse begin? For God so loved the world. For God so loved Muriel. For God so loved Tremaine. For God so loved Mark that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul would say at the crescendo of his Christian theological work of the book of Romans at the end of chapter 8, he will say, if God is for us, who could be against us? At the core of our understanding of our faith, is a God who is for us, and because he is for us, we are freed up to share that love and that life and that hope with others. God does not need us, but he has graciously invited us into the process to share his love, his hope, and his grace with others. This is the, the focus of the Great Commission that Jesus gave to the church, to invite others, no matter where they are from, to follow Christ. And so as we begin this, this new year together, I think it would be helpful for us to think about what are we for as a church. And specifically, I want us to think about four spheres of influence that all of us have that we have the opportunity to influence for Christ in the new year. Well, what are those four spheres? One of those spheres is the sphere of our neighbors. Another is the city of Norman. Another is the nations. And finally, the next generation. And over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack what it looks like for us to live out individually and corporately our efforts to, to be for these places, introducing them to Christ and inviting them to follow him. 
Well, today we're going to begin that journey by talking about what it means for us to be for our neighbors, to to have an impact in the lives of those that God has sovereignly placed around us. We're going to talk about that today from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and open up to those verses. We're going to read them, and then we will back up and find what they have to do with our opportunity to influence our neighbors for Christ in 2018. These verses begin in verse 16, and it says this. Now, while the apostle Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not very far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being." as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Now friends, in these verses that I just read, I believe we're going to see three things about what it looks like for us to be for our neighbors, how we can influence those around us towards Jesus Christ. The first thing that we're going to see is this. We need to identify our opportunity. We need to identify our opportunity. Now, where do we see that? We see that in this passage, specifically in the context of what is happening here. Now, 
In order to find the context out of Acts chapter 17, we we need to place it in what precedes it and what follows it. I just read these verses taking an exacto knife around them and lifting them out and reading them by themselves. But in the book of Acts, they they are deeply connected to what happens before and after. And, And what happens in this section of the book of Acts is Paul is on a trip. We know it as his second missionary journey. Now, for some of you who have studied the book of Acts before, you know what I mean when I say Paul's second missionary journey. But for others of you, you're like, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Or at least you think you don't. As a matter of fact, I would say that you know at least something about Paul's second missionary journey if you think about it. Because who is it that Paul visited on this journey? He went to a variety of cities. He went to Galatia. He went to Philippi. He went to Thessalonica. He went to Corinth. And he went to Ephesus. Now, do those places sound familiar to you? This was an important trip, right? It was after this trip that Paul sent follow-up thank you letters to each of those cities. They become what we know of as the rest of our New Testament in the letters to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, etc. This is a significant time. But Paul's trip, though significant, was actually quite challenging. This second missionary journey of Paul began with a sharp disagreement with his best friend that led to a separation in their partnership in ministry. And then as he set off on this trip in ministry, he couldn't quite figure out where God wanted him to go. They, they walked across what is modern-day Turkey. They wanted to go here. They wanted to go there. The doors were closed everywhere until finally he gets to the city of Troas, and God, through a dream, invites them to come over into Europe. And so he takes the boat over to Philippi, and when he gets to Philippi, they see a convert, which is very exciting, in Lydia, but then all hell begins to break loose. They get arrested, and not only were they arrested in the city of Philippi, but he was beaten with rods in that place, something that wouldn't have been very pleasant. After being driven out of the city of Philippi, he moves on to the city of Thessalonica, And you might think, well, maybe he found greener pastures there, but when he gets to Thessalonica, though God begins to work there too, some challenging things happen. One of the first converts in that city was a man by the name of Jason, and Jason was harassed by the local authorities because he was helping Paul and ultimately had money extorted from him. You can imagine what Paul was thinking. So he's driven out of the next city. He's driven out of Thessalonica. He shows up in the city of Berea. Again, God begins to do some work, but an angry mob is formed in Thessalonica. They show up with pitchforks and and, and torches in that city, and they drive him out of Berea as well. So when Paul ends up in Athens, he ends up there not having just had a leisurely vacation and not having showed up saying, I'm going to spend a long time in this great city. I want to go see the sights. Paul shows up there because his friends up in Berea said, you got to get out of Dodge. Go south. Go all the way south. Get on a boat and get out of here because the mob will chase you everywhere you go. Friends, that's the context of the first part of verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, what was he doing in Athens? Who was he waiting for? He was waiting for the rest of his crew who was ministering back in Berea, and he was a little bit beat up, not only literally, but also figuratively. And yet, as he showed up in this city that he did not necessarily intend to be at, a little sooner than he intended to be there, his heart is broken. Paul does not just lay low in this location, but he begins to to look around. And as he looks around, he sees idols everywhere. And we know this. In, In our elementary school days, we learn about Greek mythology. That's not just a book of stories. That was their religion. 
The city of Athens had idols everywhere and altars everywhere to all of these different gods. As a matter of fact, somebody said of of the first century world in, in Athens, they said it was easier to find a god than a man in that city. So full of idols was this city. And Paul looks around and he sees all these empty idols and his heart begins to break. And not only does his heart begin to break because of the idols, but as he interacts with people and he talks to them, he hears that they are leaning on these empty philosophies, philosophies that were pointing them in all kinds of directions but not answering any of the questions that they had in their soul. And Paul's heart breaks. And rather than just turtling up in his shell and saying, my ministry is back in Berea, Paul comes out of his shell and realizes that God wants to do something with him right there in that city. And so it says in verse 17 that he began interacting and reasoning with people in the synagogues, with the Jews and the devout people, and also in the marketplace every day, and I love this phrase, with those who happened to be there. Now, doesn't that sound strategic? I mean, sometimes we think of the Apostle Paul and we think of him like in the boardroom and he's got the, the map of the world, and, and he's, he's developing strategic plans, and he's sending them off to corporate, and he's getting the stamps. And yet when we read the book of Acts, what do we see? What was his strategy in the city of Athens? He reasoned with who? Those who happened to be there. Now, lest we think that that was somehow haphazard, of course it wasn't. Why? Because Paul knew that outside of his daytimer sat a sovereign God who was bringing people into his context. What does it say in, in verse 26 and 27? It says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. What does that verse tell us? It tells us that Paul was strategic to interact with those who happened to be there because they happened to be there because a sovereign God had created them and placed them in time in his context. And friends, as we gather here today, we need to remember that as well, right? We need to think about our lives as we live them out in in 2018. We have different contexts, both in our synagogues, our religious context, but also in our marketplace, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our sports teams, our our health club, our dorm floor. In all of the places where we will go, in all the places where we will be, there are people who just so happen to be there. But guess what? If we believe in a sovereign God, it's not an accident. They are there and you are there because God has placed you around them that they would be your neighbor, that you would have the opportunity to reach out and love and point to Jesus. Friends, inside your your bulletin today, there's a little handout that looks like this. I want you to grab it. We're going to look at it a few times this morning, but here's what I want you to do as we we have this, this point in our service. I want you to look. There's like a little inverted triangle here. And at the top of that inverted triangle, it says this, those who happen to be there. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to take some time. You can do it while I'm talking. Um, You can do it in the rest of the service, or you might do it when you leave here today. But I want you to take some time and just think of those who happen to be there in your life. Those that are just around you, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your normal context, who just so happens to be there. Friends, they're not just there 
by, by happenstance. It's not an accident. But a sovereign God sits outside of this world, and he has placed you and them in context together so that we might be able to point them to Christ. The first thing that we see is we need to identify our opportunity. But the second thing that we need to see is this. We need to open our mouths. We need to open our mouths and point them to Jesus. Now, we see this in the example that Paul gives. Paul does not uh, simply be nice to them. He didn't just bring them a cup of cold water. Now, he may have been nice. I mean, Paul was probably a lovely guy. But as he interacts with them and is influencing them for Christ, he is more than just nice. He actually is opening his mouth and talking to them about Jesus. You know, it's interesting, when you look at this message that Paul gives uh, to the Athenians, it's, it's used by a lot of people, including me, to talk about strategy and ministry. But here's the thing. As we look at this passage to find a strategy for ministry, let's not forget verse 18. Because in verse 18, we see the, the focus of Paul's conversations. It says he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He didn't soft sell the truth. He didn't walk away from Christ. He talked about Jesus front and center in his conversations with folks. So much so that as the Athenians are gathered around him and they're hearing him talk, um, they, 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 basically, they basically say, hey, he's talking about Jesus. That, that's just one of those other foreign gods. That's just, that's just his God. That's, that's what the assumption was, was that he was talking just about his God. Now, think about this. The city's full of idols, right? They have millions of gods. So that's just his. You know, we live in a world, though, that's not totally dissimilar from that. Have you ever felt that from someone? Oh, you, you follow the God of the Bible. You know Jesus Christ. Oh, that's great for you. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you have found some hope and some purpose in life. I'm so happy for you. Just this, this local, this tribal God. That's, that's where it begins, right? As we interact with those who don't know Christ, it begins with this idea, okay, that's great that you have found an answer for you. But it's interesting, Paul doesn't stay there, does he? Paul doesn't just say, hey, I found something for me. He says that the God that I know, the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, guess what? He's not just my God. He's the God. That's what he says. He says, this unknown altar that you see, the, the God that you don't know, guess what? That God is the God who is over all things. He's the God who is over you and me and everyone, regardless of where we live. It's not just my God. Guess what? He's the God. But, but even more so, he continues on and says, guess what? The God has a desire to be your God. That's what Paul tells them. They were created by him. He was arranged sovereignly around them to let them know that they can seek God and find him and know him. And friends, as we interact with those that God has sovereignly placed around us, we need to remember that we can open our mouths and let them know that what they long for is provided for them in God. That there is a God that is not just my God, but there is a God who is the God, and the God has a desire to know us. And we have the opportunity to know him. Well, how do we know this God? How do we use Paul's example to help point those around us to Christ? Well, he gets into this in his sermon when he talks about what it looks like for us to know God. 
number of things are, are said here. The first thing that I want us to see is in verse 27 in verse A. It lets us know that God desires that we know him. It says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. God is not hiding from us. God desires that we, we know him. He, he's made a way for us to know him. Friends, we live in a world that would love to have a transcendental connection. And we have the opportunity as people who know Christ that we can offer that connection with the God who created them to them. It's something we need to remember as we talk to those around us, those who God has placed that just happen to be around us. We can affirm God's desire to know them and their opportunity to know him. We also can affirm that God is not very far from us. Second part of verse 27 tells us that. He says, yet he is not actually very far from each one of us. I love the fact that Paul doesn't say, hey, you want to know God? Guess what? Let's get in a boat and let's go to the Holy Land. Let's go to Israel. Let's go to Jerusalem and let's see the empty tomb. Because if you go with me there, then you might know the God that I know. He doesn't say that. Why? Because they don't have to go there to come into a relationship with God. God is not tribal. He's the God. Therefore, they can have a relationship with the God wherever they are, including in Athens. Friends, we have the opportunity to let people know, guess what? You have a desire to know God, and guess what? That God is not very far from you. You can begin a relationship with him today, right now. He's not far from us. Third thing, God has placed eternity in our hearts. Something we need to know, we need to remember. Now, we we see this in verse 28. Now, I think it's interesting, verse 28, because you see a quotation. In your Bible, you see a quotation in verse 28. Now, when you see a quotation in the New Testament, typically, what is it quoting? Just somebody that reads your Bible every once in a while, what, what do you think? Old Testament, right? Good, Rob. It's the Old Testament. We normally think of it as quoting the Old Testament. Yet the, he's not quoting the Old Testament here. Who's he quoting? Philosophers, Greek philosophers and poets. That's, that's, that's who he's quoting when he quotes these verses. Paul takes the opportunity to to reference what they know and say, even your own poets, even your own philosophers, when they write and talk, they talk about this longing to know God. And guess what? I know that God that they long to know. In our day, we might think he's quoting Spielberg here. He's quoting Beyonce. He's quoting philosophers and thought leaders from their culture and saying they are asking questions that my God has the answer to. Friends, when we think about interacting with those around us for Christ and opening our mouths, we can oftentimes use the very things that we're watching and thinking about because those media, those movies, those television shows, those songs are asking questions that our God can answer. Our God may answer them quite differently than the author of the song would answer it, But the the questions that they're asking, our God has the answers. Because God has placed eternity in our hearts to drive us towards him. Next thing we see, God is God. He's not an idol. Verse 29, he says, you have created all of these little stone gods in, in your image. Guess what? Our God is not created in your image. You are created in his. That's what he says. 
Friends, as we interact with people, don't allow them to believe the myth that we can just imagine God and the God that we imagine is real. I can imagine a lot of things that aren't real. If I'm going to come to know God, I need to go know God on the basis of who He is and who He's revealed Himself to be. That's why it's important for us to point people to truth, to point them to Scripture, because otherwise we can create God in our image, and in fact, it's just the opposite. We need to draw our understanding of ourselves from Him. Because we're going to be accountable to Him. Verse 30 and 31 talk about one day there will be an accountability that will come to the earth. There will be judgment that will come to the earth where everyone will have to give an account for their life. That judgment will be done by Jesus Christ. And so doesn't it make sense to listen to what He had to say? Because one day we will stand before Him. We need to remind people of that truth. And the reason why all that matters and is verified is because there was this resurrection which separates Jesus and makes him unique from any other religion. We see that in verse 31, part B. Friends, there is a God who is out there that is knowable, and we get the opportunity to invite those who happen to be around us to know him. When you think of your little piece of paper and the names you wrote in the top half of this triangle, I want you to take some time today and think about what are the questions they're asking in life? What are the challenges that they're facing? to the best of your ability, based on what you know. And then I want you to think about how the God that you know actually has the answers to the challenges that they have. It's a reminder of why we can reach out to them and connect them with the God that they were created to know. First thing is we identify our opportunity. The second thing is we open our mouths. The third thing is we're willing to have the second conversation. We're willing to have the second conversation. I love this, friends. I just love it because many times, Brian mentioned it earlier when we were talking. Many times we think of uh, impacting those around us for Christ as a presentation. You know, when I was in college, I, I learned a tool called the four spiritual laws. It had four parts to it. And I thought at that time as I learned it, and this is, this is not awful, but I thought at the time, if sharing the gospel means I get through all four points in one setting. If I get stopped before I get to the end, then I've not been effective. I need to go from point A to point B, and I need to cover that material to cover that territory. Now, that message is true. I believe that message that I memorized, that I I shared with friends, and I still use that message because it's important. But guess what? Not every time when we talk to people about Christ do we go all the way from A to B. Sometimes we go from A to A.1, right? And that's not just true of me and my experience, or you and your experience, or Brian and his experience, but it's true even of the experience of the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul spoke and he talked about Jesus, guess what? Not everybody heard everything that Paul believed in one conversation. Believe it or not, that's true. As a matter of fact, as Paul talked, he he talked about certain things, and then those who were interested went with Paul to a second conversation, or a third conversation, or a fourth conversation where they eventually came to faith in Christ. We, we see this in verse 32 and 33. It says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysus and Damaris. Friends, as we think about reaching out to those around us, there'll be some who will reject us. Sometimes when we think about that rejection, it just kills us because we think if, if we are rejected by anybody, we must have done it wrong. No, if we're rejected by people, that may actually mean we did it right. 
mean, think about a baseball player. If a baseball player felt like, you know, the first time I strike out, I'm never playing baseball again. What kind of an attitude would that be? It'd be a crazy attitude. Guess what? If you can get a hit three out of 10 times, that means if seven out of 10 times you get an out, but you get a hit three out of, se- out of 10 times, guess what? You're worth $17 million a year. And when we think about reaching out in ministry to others, we will be rejected. Paul was rejected. As he talked, they called him a babbler. They, they laughed at him. They scoffed at him, but not Damaris and not Dionysus. He had a second conversation and a third conversation with them. And guess what? The church began in Athens on such things. Friends, when you think about your life and you think about your little graph here, there's those who happen to be here. There are those that you have begun to interact with, but even as you are interacting with them, who do you sense wants to hear us again about these things? Who can you have that second conversation with? Won't that be everybody at the top, but one or two at a time that the Lord is bringing to your mind that you might be able to follow up with? Might be somebody you invited to come to church with you, and they came, and now you're ready for that follow-up conversation. It might be somebody that you gave that that book to or sent that article to last fall or or summer or spring and you never asked them what they thought because you were nervous about that. Maybe that second conversation you could have with them. Maybe it's somebody that God just keeps bringing back to your mind or that person that you keep running into in your neighborhood when you're out walking your dog. When you think about those opportunities, who is it that God is bringing back to you again and again to have that second or that third conversation where you might be able to share a little more as you lead them down a path of what it looks like to follow Christ? Friends, we are invited and been strategically placed by God around our neighbors then we might love them and point them to Jesus. Let's do that together in 2018. Let's open our mouths and let's have those second conversations. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to worship today. And I thank you for the hope of the gospel that is not true just for those of us in this room, but it is certainly true for our community as well. And Father, I I, I pray thanking you that you have scattered us. We don't all live in the same neighborhood. We don't all live in the same apartment complex. We don't all work in the same building. We don't all have kids that play on the same teams, and we don't all attend the same schools. You have scattered us so that those who happen to be around us might be different and diverse, and that through the collective lot, we might be able to reach out and to love others in Jesus' name. Father, that we would have opportunities to point them to Christ, not only through our actions, certainly through our actions, but also as we open our mouths, we let them know the questions of their soul are answered by you, the one true.